The new year is coming and it's time to set your health and fitness goals for 2023. Maybe you started your journey this past year, or maybe you're looking to make 2023 the year you get the results you've always dreamed of. And if you are, I want to help you. I've been a health and fitness coach for almost a decade now. I've helped thousands of people off and online get in the shape of their life and drop the kilos they've been wanting to shed for years. I've helped people transform their bodies, their health, and their minds. And most importantly, I've shown them how they can maintain this on a long-term basis. As your coach, I take care of everything within your health and fitness journey, your training, your nutrition, your cardio, supplementation, etc. But I also look at your journey from a holistic perspective and address your stress, your sleep, your mindset, and ensure you have everything you need to achieve your results. If you're ready to make this the year you get the results you truly want, fill in the application form in the description below. It'll only take you two minutes and I'll be in touch for us to book in a call so we can plan out your journey and put some clear goals in place. If you have any questions about the coaching, feel free to email me or DM me on Instagram, which is at Elliot Hassoon. I'm excited to hear from you and excited to help you transform your body, health, and mind in 2023. team and welcome to episode 332 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Max Dickens. Max is an author, speaker, and screenwriter. After proposing to his girlfriend, Max realized that he didn't really have anyone that he could call on to be his best man, which led him to dig in deeper to find out where all of his friends had gone over the years. And he quickly recognized that it wasn't just him who was having this problem, it was an enormous amount of men too. A survey taken by Movember showed that a third of men have no close friends at all, which really gives us an eye-opening look at this problem and why this conversation needed to be had today. In this episode, you can expect to learn why not having close friendships can be a problem even if your life is going well in many other areas, why women tend to be far more effective at maintaining friendships, along with many steps you can take to deepen the relationships with your friends and how you can find some new ones too. So without further ado, Max Dickens. Max Dickens, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm really good. I'm, I'm very glad to be on the show and glad to um, sh- share this stuff with your audience who I think um, are interested in it, open-minded about how they might change some things in their life. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited too. And this is a topic that's pretty close to my heart as well. It's been something that's fascinated me over the past few years or so. To, so to come across your book, to come across your work was a really, really interesting experience for myself so i'm excited from a personal standpoint to ask you some questions today and have a conversation but like we mentioned i think it's going to have a massive amount of value for the listeners as well but for those who may have not come across yourself before can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do yeah absolutely so uh i'm max i've got a book out at the moment called billy no mates how i realize men have a friendship problem and that's the thing i'm 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 kind of most sort of fascinated about at the moment this this kind of whole thing stemmed from a uh, a personal realization of basically going oh my god i'm in my 30s i'm a man where have all my friends gone and then thinking oh loads of other guys are in the same position i realized and i thought well why does this go wrong what can we do about it so i spent a couple of years of my life essentially treating myself as a human human guinea pig to solve this problem and also i was trying to find a trying to find a best man because that was kind of the inciting incident of this whole quest was me going, oh, wow, I've got no one in my life to fill that role. So I wrote a book about it. Did you ever find a best man in the end? 
Well, there is kind of a, a twist. A, there is a twist in the tale. I, but for listeners who m- might read the book, I won't reveal it. But I'll say it's a happy ending, but it's not the happy ending that you maybe would assume. Mm, that's definitely an incentive to read the book if this sparks people's curiosities thereafter as well. But yeah, I actually found this particularly fascinating. I'm in a very similar position as well. I'm planning to propose to my girlfriend this year. I don't worry, she already knows that, but... Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she knows that you're going to propose. Yeah, it's been on the agenda for a little while now. So she, she's aware that it's happening. She just doesn't know when and where. So we're keeping that top secret. But yeah, and I was thinking the same thing, you know, and you mentioned it's a time in your life where you literally have to list all of your friends in an order of a priority as well and it's like well you know where did they all go you know i thought i had loads of friends i thought i had this super solid friendship group but what i want to go into first is why is this such a problem because i am someone again who shared similarities to yourself i have my girlfriend i have my family i love my work so why is it such a problem that specifically men i find at least and we're going to dig into that a little bit more detail why is it a problem that we don't have friends even if we've got fulfillment in our other areas of life Good question. There's a lot, I think, a lot in that question. So the first thing I would say, because I sometimes get messages from men saying, like, I don't have many friends and I don't want them to stop having a go at me, which I can understand. So basically, there's no right number of friends to have. And if you're happy with the number of friends you've got, that's absolutely fine. But what the research suggests is lots of men are not happy with it. And they do have a challenge. And they the challenge they have is essentially in two directions. So the, the first direction is, there's loads of studies that say this. I mean, there's a famous one by Movember, the Mental Health Foundation that came out. It asked men, how many close friends have you got? And one in three men they asked could think of no one at all. And, and then they asked the same group of people, how many people in your life could you talk to about something like big, hefty, like uh, relationship problem, money problem, health problem, that sort of thing. And half of the guys couldn't think of anyone. So, that kind of sums up one challenge men have. They might have lots of mates. So you mentioned work, you mentioned you might have a hobby, like, you know, gym mates, whatever. We've got kind of a bevy of mates that we have this kind of informal relationship with, but we don't have those avenues for the more close, more personal disclosure, a sense that someone really knows you and you know them. And the second element then is that as as we get older, whether you're male or female, your social world does get smaller. Uh, it peaks, by the way, in your late teens, early twenties, and then <laughs> kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> all downhill from there. I mean, you know, you know. So don't. It's you're like a lot of people if you're hearing this and go, "Oh my god, that's me." But if you look at men's social world, it shrinks a lot more than women's, and so those are the two things which suggest there's something inherent in men that is going a bit wrong, both for the in, intimate sort of friendships and also in our social worlds more generally. But, you know, you said, you know, family, girlfriend, work, lots of great sources of passion and, and joy, and that's great. But I would say it's important if that's true for you, because it was true for me as well, is that when life slows down and you need a friend or you get into trouble and you need a friend that's when you kind of realize the cupboard is bare and it's better to do something about it before you get to that point. So, for example, if you look around um, evidence around divorce, bereavement, retirement, that's when men often have bad mental health outcomes, bad physical health outcomes, especially compared to women, because in those pinch points, you, you need friends. Suddenly you're like, oh, I haven't, I haven't got them. 
So it's not necessarily about feeling you've got no one and you're just this kind of, the idea we think of a lonely guy is it's the school lunch hall. You know, they've got biscuits in their hair. They stink. You know what I mean? Or that guy. But, but actually, it, they look, people like that look like me. They look like you. And so we can take the stigma away, but also appreciate that friendship is not the same thing as busyness. Yeah, that's a very, very good distinction. And a point you made in another interview that you did is that it's not even just about those moments. It's also about when you have good news, who are you going to call, right? And I think that that was a big part as well. It's like, you know, it's not only about who you're going to share the hard times with, but it's like which friends you actually want to call during the good times. And that's also another position where you realize that the cupboard is more bare than you actually initially thought, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I was thinking about that today. And um, I read something about, you know, achievement is much more meaningful when it's kind of collect connected to a relationship, when it's witnessed in some way and you feel like, that there's there's some co- common experience around it like if you if you do something really well in your life but it's just you who knows then it, it just feels less satisfying and yeah I, I, th- I think it's a similar sort of thing is that if you've not got anyone to talk to about the bad things we often get quite awkward as blokes by talking about the good things as well like if you talk about kind of touching it in the book we're very happy as guys often to talk about our goals right so I want to make this a month. I want to bench press this. I want to run this time, 5K, whatever. But if you go about hopes, something a bit more kind of meaty and, I don't know, it feels a bit vainer, right? Then that's when we don't really want to talk about it. So talking about the good stuff and talking about the bad stuff, I think it's quite intimately connected. Absolutely. And you mentioned there that the social circles of just about all of us reduces over the course of time. Why is it the women are so much better than us at maintaining their social connections compared to us men? I mean, there's, there's, a, couple of, there's a couple of things going on. There's sort of like three main theories with all of this stuff that kind of interact, and we'll probably touch on all three of them today. But to kind of to answer that question as it comes up, one of them, the kind of less controversial view, and there's, there is absolutely lots of evidence for this, is that women do a lot more work, put a lot more effort into it in two ways. In terms of the mental work of keeping it front of mind and having having it on the dashboard, right? Don't they have friendship on the dashboard along with all the other things in their life? And on the friendship bit of the dashboard, they've got like 12 relationships and they kind of, it's like my, my, my wife's like amazing. She's like, uh, someone's had a baby. You've got to send them a baby comforter. And I'm like, what? Who's had a baby? All right. Oh my God. I've got, she's like, I've already sent it. I was like, okay, great. Um, oh, we haven't replied to that invite. Um, we've got a wedding in three years. What? Yeah. She's she got it all going. So they're managing it mentally, but then they're doing something about it. So they are putting in the effort into organising, having coffees, into phoning people up, into um, just just keeping relationships ticking over and being proactive with that. Women are socialised. They're brought up a lot more to do that and they, they carry that through to adulthood. The classic thing I always kind of bring up, I think, with this is we think about what happens at Christmas time in your family or whatever the big kind of celebration is in, in your family. Who is organizing getting the family together? Who's buying turkey or whatever? Who's, who's thinking about, you know, who's sitting next to who? It's often the women doing that sort of social work. And that extends to the friendship world as well. So they're putting more effort in. So that's kind of one half of it. And actually, that's one reason why men 
struggle with friendship when they're not in relationships is because they'll often in relationships outsource that work to the woman or to their girlfriend. So if you look at research around married men are less lonely than unmarried men. And the difference is there is a woman there who's like the switchboard, (laughs) right? Yeah. Okay. You've got that. And then the more kind of controversial angle on this, Elliot, is there is a fair amount of evidence now that in terms of basic social emotional skills, women may be on average, on average, more equipped than guys. And and a small example of this is even temperament. So... I was talking to some dads the other day. I did an event, and it was for a thing called Dad La Soul. It's just for dad, you, just events for dads, right? And often a lot of dads are quite lonely. So I did an event with them, and we were talking about the pickup from school. And they said, when you see mums drop the do the drop off at school, they're like, you know, smiley, open, warm. They're sparking conversations. They go, oh, hello, I've not met you. Oh, I'm Judith. Whereas the blokes show up, they're closed. You know, they're, they're aggressive. They look like a face like a smacked ass. Right. It's not necessarily that they're dicks. They're just like, that's what men are like in public. And so they're not sparking conversations. They're like, everyone's a bit aloof and unapproachable. And that's kind of it. That, I suppose, is an example of do we learn that shit or is that stuff that is kind of in us? Um, And I think it's probably a bit of both and culture exaggerates it. So, I mean, in the book, I kind of unpack a lot of that sciencey evolution origin stuff. And that's the sort of conversation you see less often in media discussions on this thing because it's a bit more controversial because we're we're not allowed to really believe in sex differences anymore, it seems. That's, yeah, unfortunately true. But at the same time, if we look at the examples, of course, it's not going to be every single man. But it's fair to say that even if you just close your eyes and think of that school pickup example, your mind immediately goes to the mums interacting and maybe like one dad stood there in the corner versus anything else. And like, that's just me with my perception of what that would be. That's literally the imagination that comes that, yeah, the imaginative thought that comes to my mind in that moment. So I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that as well. And we mentioned that connections and going just beyond mates is probably going to be the most important thing. Like going from just having a bunch of mates, workmates, uh, you know, hobby mates to having like genuine, genuine connections. How do we go about taking that transition? Because I had this conversation a little while ago with my therapist, maybe like one or two years ago. And I was trying to look at the return on investment in friends. And I was like, well, if I spend four or five hours with a friend, that's four or five hours I could be doing on this. And I travel a lot. And if, in all honesty, that's even more effort to create a friendship circle when you're not staying in a country for a long time. So going on a Tinder date was way easier than actually making a friend. So how do we go from taking just our mates that we have all the way to genuine, reliable friends who we can yeah, essentially lean on in those tough times and those amazing times as well? Great. Um, it's a good question. I mean, I would say, firstly... To kind of, I often talk about friendship like this. Friendship exists as a system in that we rely on different friends at different times for different things. So not every friend has to be the same sort of friend. So I'm not saying every friend in your life, if you're watching this and you're a guy, has to be that uber close, super emotion <laughs> friendship. I think you need some of those. So how do we get some of those? And I'll use a kind of metaphor of investment there. I think there's kind of a power law 
in how you behave or in how you would invest in these friendships that get really good returns. And, and I would say the first one is make, be deliberately affectionate. And the second one I'll get to in a moment, but, but by deliberately affectionate, it's important for this reason is that friendships are inherently ambiguous. They just are. And so if we're not calling it out, it's very hard to know, especially in male friendships, if if they even like you. I, I've had friends, I realised, when I wrote this book. I was like, I've known that guy for 20 years. I've got no idea if he likes me. I see him 10 times a year. Does he? I don't know. But we behave like we hate each other. <laughs> but I've seen him 20 years, right? Yeah. I spoke to someone. I sat next to someone at a dinner thing. And he said, I've been best man seven times. And he said to me, but two of those guys were not even in my top 20 friends, he reckoned. And I was like, oh, that is the thing, the fear of friendship, right? Are they as into me as I'm into them? That's the ambiguity, right? The hierarchy is super weird and hard to grasp. So the thing to do then is to try and take the ambiguity out and be quite direct with affection. So, you know, here's just some, some simple ways of doing that. One is to tell your friends you like them. I know that sounds like 101, like, yeah, what's next? But how often have you done that? And don't assume they know, because often I didn't, like I said, I didn't know, even people I've known for ages. Um, be specific in your praise, right? Men don't give each other compliments. I, I could talk about the research here. There is, there is there's some really funny studies about it. Men don't get compliments and they don't give them. And a lot of men are going like, well, someone give me an effing compliment so you can give compliments. But there's, I read another lovely thing the other day. It said, we really like people who like us skillfully. So how do you like someone skillfully? It's not just going, hey, you're a good bloke. It's going, hey, I, I just, I think the way you are with, uh, I saw you the way you were with your son the other day. And I just thought you, you dealt with him so well. It was just really inspiring to see that. Just a small moment, not a big cheesy, oh my God, someone set me on fire and end this moment. Just a little one. Um, I'd also say it doesn't have to always be a meetup. Like often I think guys are like beers or nothing, but checking in is saying it's front of you. You're in their kind of in their mind space a bit. Like I've got a friend, a guy called Oliver, who's a really great guy. He did something really simple. He sent me a postcard the other day and it had like four lines on the back. So it wasn't, didn't take him very long. It had a second class stamp. Cheers, mate. But it was just like, all right, I'm in Margate. I saw this stupid postcard. Anyway, cheers. And I was like, oh, well, that's nice. And, th- and then I reply on WhatsApp and going, oh, thanks so much. Get his address and I'm going to send him a. I'm going to send him a book at the weekend, right? And it's just little things, not big things. Um, another tip is fold them into your life a bit just with things you're interested in. Like it's about how do you make this work when you're super busy? Like if you're really into, I don't know, stand up comedy, you get two tickets to see Kevin, you get to see Kevin Bridges, get two tickets and invite a mate. Like it's just small things. It's just putting yourself out there. Guys love other blokes who initiate stuff because no blokes ever do. Um, so there's that. So we kind of covered the affection thing. Um, and then you've got the second kind of big tranche, I think, is around uh, vulnerability, which is about 
sharing information about yourself, which is maybe quite secret, so not a lot of people know it. It's quite personal. It's often the grubbier side of you, the more sincere. So sincere, I learned the other day, Elliot, is is a comes from a it's a Latin word comes from sincere, which is without wax. So do you know what I mean? It's like and, the, and in ancient Rome, they cover wax in basically terrible jewelry to hide the fact that it would be made badly, and so it covered all the blemishes. Covered all the blemishes. So like, show some of that stuff. So when things aren't going so well, go. Someone says, "How are you?" You're gonna go. Do you know what? Uh, not good. I'm actually in. I'm, I'm me and my wife are start seeing a marriage counselor. It's quite stressful. Or whatever it is, and it doesn't have to be a lot, but little bits of that and going first with it make an absolutely enormous difference because it creates permissions between you. So a lot of male friendship, I often I reflected in my own groups like what are the permissions in this dynamic? What are we allowed to do? What are we allowed to say? And are those permissions likely to end up in us having proper conversations about stuff and really knowing each other? So how can you change those permissions? A lot of it is just role modeling it. And you'd be amazed at how much of a difference that makes really quick. Yeah, I can imagine. I remember on the affection part, I had a friend who our position of friendship is in that ambiguous area right now. But before, when we used to meet, he would message afterwards and be like, I really enjoyed the meetup today. Just two lines about how I enjoy seeing you. Can't wait to do it again. And that was something that I thought was like top quality. Like it was something I took away and I was like, that's fantastic. It's like, even though you spent the day together and felt that you had a great interaction, it's nice to have someone just confirm that they also enjoyed themselves and they're looking forward to seeing you again, right? And I was like, that was Man, based off of him. That's massive. And also what I love about that example you gave is that it's not a lot of effort. And it's it's more just putting the thought into it and it makes a bit it's just little things i mean as long as it's not you don't send the same one every time and it's there's a bit of thought to <laughs> copy and paste <laughs> yeah. and they put the, it doesn't even change the name hi darren <laughs> but i read this thing the other day about um from a psychologist and this is apparently there's tons of research into this called the liking gap which basically we we really underestimate how much other people like us and especially how it kind of applies with strangers as well. Like we assume a stranger who we've met a couple of times thinks we're a bit of a dick or a bit weird or we're boring. And actually the research suggests it's never like that. They think the same about you. I think often in friendships, if you don't do those little gestures, you're like, does Matt, did Matt even enjoy that? Yeah. And I, a lot of it as well, I think is a big self-confidence thing, right? Because when you say, the idea of taking the lead in these certain situations, all it sounds like to many men, which I can imagine when it, you think about the fears of it is rejection, it's discomfort, it's time wasted. So do we have to really be brave and maybe come from a good place of self-worth and self-confidence to be available to accept that? Because if it's almost like the idea of approaching a girl in a cafe as well. Like if you're single and just trying to get her number or something like that, it's like, it's the same thing. So you're opening yourself up for rejection, discomfort, potentially time wasted. But on the other side of that is, you know, the potential partner of your life, right? So is it the same kind of concept in that we just got to take a little bit more of the initiative and just be open to saying, well, they might not actually enjoy it that much, but at the same time, at least we are and we now know yeah yeah i think so 
So I wrote I wrote the thing the other day about when you do the show initiative with friendships and you kind of put the work in, you're the one organising, you're the one going first, a lot of the things we've talked about, and it doesn't work out. It can feel a little bit like, like you say, you know, what a waste of time or they're not keeping their side of the bargain. But I think it's just kind of a rule of thumb, like as a way of being in the world, you're on average more likely to get a better result than if you don't do that. You've almost got to see the cost of doing business. <laughs> The cost of doing social business is that sometimes you'll be let down. Sometimes they won't respond right. But if you see it over a, you know, an arc of interactions, you're going to get a good a good reaction. But I did also like something you said there about it can be uncomfortable to kind of receive it or to do it. But especially, I think, including especially to receive it, a lot of guys are not used to being told nice stuff. It's something I have to re- I really fight against. If I get, I'm lucky enough to get sent emails from readers, which is great. I, mean, I, I love getting them. I find it really hard to read a really nice email. I'm going like, oh, I don't know what to do, and then respond to it. And I always do respond, but it's so weird that I will find it very easy to read a horrible, like, this is your terrible email. But I'm like, oh, someone being nice to me? This is alien. Because it's like a bit, it is, like you say, it is a bit vulnerable. You sort of open yourself up and going, oh, they've seen me. They've seen what I've tried to do. Or, And I think a lot of the time it's kind of part of the same package is being able to talk about the bad stuff. It's also about being able to receive the good stuff. Like, it's something I'd, I've reflected on is, and I think maybe people watching this, listening to this might, is when someone gives you a compliment, how do you deal with that? Do you let it land on you? And, and show that it's landed on you and say thank you and enjoy it and give them the gift of letting them have that moment or do you brush it off or make a joke? Which I think, guys, we often do, right? Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking any response to a compliment is usually like, ah, yeah, I could have done better. Uh, I'm planning this for next time. Or, ah, uh, you know, you know uh, and then that's what it ends up with. It's just like a little bit of a, a mumble of how, how well can I deflect this so I don't actually have to accept it and acknowledge it, right? Yeah. Yeah, a guy comes up to you and says, hey, I like you've had a haircut. It looks cool. You go, yeah, I've got to have a haircut because I'm such a fucking fat prick. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, <laughs> rather than like, okay, I wasn't saying that. <laughs> and that's a very male thing as well. I'm not sure. I think actually women do the deflecting thing as well. I think that's... Oh, women do fair. the deflecting thing. Yeah, they yeah. certainly do as well. So maybe it's just a human thing full stop as yeah. well. I love how women give each other compliments on Instagram. That's a very female thing. You don't see men doing that. Yeah, like, uh, that's a very good point. You know, there's a photo of someone on a, you just, just doing anything. And it's like a load of fire emojis underneath. And that's a good point. And maybe they will compliment something like a new car, but not how they're looking in that suit that they posted themselves in. Whereas a woman would not post on the new car that the woman got, but she'll post on when she's wearing a really nice dress. So it's a curious way of complimenting each other, which brings us on to the state of masculinity. I'm really curious to get your take on this. It seems to be in a very fragile place at this moment. It's like the traditional values of being male might not have served us super well, or now these days they're being branded as, you know, misogynistic or 
super old fashioned stone age. But then if you try and tap into your feminine side and be a little bit more vulnerable, then you're called a fairy, you're called all these different types of things. So what is your current take on masculinity as it stands today? And where do you find that center point for us who want to embrace being a man and not be ashamed of it, or even accept that there's any gender differences whatsoever? Massive question. Yeah, big question, but a really interesting one. And obviously, it's in the news a lot at the moment. And um so maybe start right at the beginning like what is masculinity masculinity is the cultural idea of what it means to be a man and so the question then is what what the performance of being male so how do you show you're a man and it used to be that that performance was around you know being strong being fighter being brave, being provider, you know, exactly all those things that we're kind of familiar with. The argument is, is that in that definition was left out a lot of things to do with our relationships and to do with our emotions. Um, and undoubtedly, masculinity is softening. It's becoming much more open. It depends on the context you're in. Um, class is relevant. Where you are in the country is relevant. Your age, your job. There's different kind of definitions in different places, so it's more inclusive in certain places than others. So I think, in a sense, masculinity is becoming a lot more inclusive, a lot, a lot healthier. What I think is dangerous is that actually it goes in the completely opposite idea. So people used to criticise an old definition of masculinity by saying it; they called it essentialist. Right? The academics would say, "Oh, if you say men have to have a big car, be rich, big big muscles, be six foot six, these are just kind of you pick them out of your ass. They're just ideas from nowhere." And so where did where do we get this definition from? Is the argument like we're we're making it? And the idea is that it's the cultural definition of masculinity is is made to preserve male power and a certain certain sort of man's power. But then in the opposite direction, without getting too wanky about this, Elliot, is when people say, Oh, men should be talk about their emotions all the time. Uh masculinity is about kindness. You go like, okay, but where have you got that from? you just picked different qualities and they they don't have any basis. And you might argue that being kind and talking about your emotions is a better form of masculinity, but you can't criticize the first one for being picked out of thin air and then say that one is not. I think, I think generally we need to have much more of an understanding of context and there is, and what behaviours are healthy for men and women is really dependent on the context. So, for example, if you're in a situation with a friend who's having a really tough time, what's an appropriate form of masculinity in that moment? It is to be more emotionally connected, to listen better, to be more patient, to cancel the workout you're going to do, to make a bit more space for them, to take some time off work and address that that's a healthy form of masculinity but if you're in a context where you're a soldier you know you, you want people who are going to be aggressive and you know not going to going to muddle through so really the, what is appropriate in masculinity really depends on the context and often i see in popular culture certain forms of masculinity being criticized without any consideration of the culture. So if you have a go at sort of uh, working class 
certain working class men from manufacturing backgrounds have been brought up in really tough upbringings, being a bit aggressive and not knowing all the right words to say. It's like, yeah, but you've got to understand the context where, yeah, and that's and that made sense there. That was actually, it wasn't unhealthy there. And then maybe you get into a new context, it has to change. Um, so, you know, you probably tell from my answer, I think it's really complicated and I don't have a brilliant answer. I think there needs to be empathy and we've maybe lost that and we've got two poles. We've got kind of the reactionary alt-right men, uh, you know, and Andrew Tate, men should be like this. And we've got kind of, kind of a load of gender theorists saying, actually, no, let's turn that all on its head. And actually, most of us are in the muddy middle going, I don't want to be old school man and I, I don't relate to it and it's certainly not healthy but I don't want to be man 3.0 which I kind of don't really relate to either and I kind of feel guilty for saying that so it's kind of a a mix and then also you've got I know this is a ridiculously long answer but also when you it's interesting I think when you look at dating it comes out a lot in dating gender stuff because we have a cultural conversation about how we want men to be and what is a healthy definition of masculinity but then if you look at the data that comes out of dating apps and the sort of men that do really well on there you're like that data could have come out of the fleet studies that they had apps so oh guess what guys who are six foot five got great cheekbones and are really rich I do amazingly well and everyone else does quite badly. Like it's kind of, that's, you know, there are kind of signals we get that contradict a lot of the cultural stuff. So it's interesting. I don't know if that answers your question. I think it's a good one. And I'm trying to probably think out loud and figure it out. No, I think that that's the way to navigate this whole conversation. There's no black and white answer. And when you look into the old school style of things, part of it makes sense. And you look in the new style of things that also makes sense so it's like okay well where do we stand how do we kind of keep some of these traditional male values because when you talk about you know being strong being rich etc in a modern context they make sense from an evolutionary standpoint right the stronger one you know thousands of years ago has the ability to protect his tribe the richer one in the modern context is the one who was able to provide for his tribe and you know look after his family so they make a lot of sense they've just kind of updated themselves from being the one who gets the food to the one who drives in the nice car and now wears the rolex right so it's just modern context but traditional values so it's curious and then you look at maybe some of the new school approaches and you're like okay well compassion might have looked like a agreement between different tribes and being able to say this is my territory this is your territory let's keep this peaceful let's not go to war etc but now maybe in a modern context that compassion can turn into something a little bit more let's say weaker just so to speak just to use you know a lack of a better term there so it's it's just about finding the way to utilize new school and old school in the modern context and yeah i think it's just about finding that center point but who knows where that center point is and i think as you alluded to it's all context dependent which makes me want to ask, where is your position right now? Where is your middle point towards traditional quote-unquote masculine values and the new school masculine values? Where do you stand and what particular traits do you like to live by? I wouldn't say necessarily uh, live by a set, of, a set of traits. I suppose I live by a set of instincts like everyone does and then also on top of those instincts have a le- layer of analysis which makes me think is that 
healthy, unhealthy, optimal, suboptimal. So a good example is, you know, my instinct is to make a joke out of absolutely everything, right? That's quite, you would say, quite a masculine way of relating, but that's suboptimal. It's not healthy. So I've, I'm now going, well, that's an instinct. That's maybe a, kind of a, a, an old school gender norm. And I've gone, well, I'm trying to try and go away from that, but I don't want to completely leave it behind. There's some times where I think it's a really fun way of being in certain contexts, but you have to have different gears on the gear stick. So I think r- rather than saying there's a loaded a set number of traits, for me, it's just about going through certain gears uh, in a way that gives you access to both old old and new. I, I think this conversation is really confused by the fact that it's it's conflated with arguments around equity. So by which I mean the fact that women have had a terrible end of the deal politically, economically, uh, sexually for centuries. A lot of the old school ways of thinking about gender and thinking about what a man is, what a woman is, were designed to keep those inequities in place and to defend them. So I can completely understand why people get a bit um, uncomfortable when anyone talks about, well, men are like this and women are like this, because they go, well, who gets to say? And generally, it's the powerful people who get to make those decisions. Connected here is a lot of the conversation around uh, um, trans, which I I do not want to talk about today. No one needs to know anything from me about that subject but it's kind of conflated right because it's, it's actually essentially asking how do you construct gender where does it come from so those two things have become um, mixed in with ideas of um uh, in, innate uh, kind of uh, ways of behaving to become completely confused the whole thing so that when we talk about actually men are more likely to be like that some people will hear, oh, but oh, what well, you're saying that that inequality is right then? It's like, well, no, it's just <laughs> more likely to have that behavior. Anyway, it's a pretty extensive topic and probably one that we're not going to get to the bottom of today. <laughs> no, we're not going to get to the bottom of it. But I think it's, I think it's the reason why it's important to kind of think about it a bit is if you don't understand some average sex differences then you talk about male loneliness and male mental health if you don't understand that there are some differences you then don't design interventions that work that's why it's important not some grand philosophizing about this subject and you know there's people much smarter than me make much more coherent arguments than the ones i've probably made today but what's important is for example you want to have men who have friends and you're, for example, uh, a government trying to fund a scheme, do you know what works for men? Is men's sheds. It's a load of blokes who go to a shed to make shit. Now, that sounds pretty sexist. What? Men like sheds? Men like using tools and building shit in sheds? Yes. (laughs) It's like the most successful intervention, but it's also, on the one hand, like unbelievably gendered. But then on the positive side of men's sheds, and I visited them and they're great, all of them basically let women in now. Women seem less likely to want to go. Generally, there's eight to ten, ten people, eight of them would be male, two of them be female, for example. But they're, they're welcome, and the atmosphere is inclusive and nice, but it's quite a 
old school maleish thing, and it worked. So that's why this subject, I think, is important. Yeah, well, it's also very important due to the statistics on male suicide at this moment in time as well. And it's not ever to say that one gender suicide is a bigger problem than the other. It's just that this is going up at an alarming rate at this moment in time. How much do you think that this loneliness, this specifically male loneliness problem, contributes to the current rates that we're seeing? Well, it's it's definitely very closely connected. So there's all sorts of different research here. So suicide... It's a very complex thing. There's never one cause. And so I can't say it's 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 definitive. But if you ask the Samaritans, they do, uh, you know, the Samaritan Suicide Report talks about men having less access to all forms of social connection. And that being one of the major risk factors in male suicide. Um, there's been lots of research that looking at causes of depression. Again, depression is complex, but one of the biggest preventers of depression is having uh, strong social connections. If you look at the um, Harvard uh, study of adult life, the longest longitudinal study ever conducted since the mid-1930s, still going now, they looked at what makes people live longer and be happier. The number one thing was relationships and the number two thing was the strength and quality of those relationships. So it helps you live longer, it helps you be happier, it helps you be less depressed, and it's intimately connected to the mental health thing. But I think it's a lot of these things are connected because for me, I got interested in what masculinity meant, something a subject I didn't really feel was for me through the friendship door. And I went, Why don't I have any friends? Why don't I have any close friends? Oh, it's how I'm behaving. And I go, oh, I'm behaving like that because it's kind of how I thought men were meant to behave. And I've subconsciously absorbed about behaving like that and some innate factors, but also those culturally constructed things. So I think this thinking about your relationships is a great way of thinking about the sorts of things that are sort of behaviors that are good for your mental health. Because if you can have the emotional intelligence to understand how you feel and express how you feel and have that language, you're also going to be able to understand how to talk about your own mental health and to deal with struggles you're going through so all of this stuff is so connected absolutely and i think a lot of it's about breaking generational cycles as well right and i think that hopefully the children are children on the agenda for yourself in the near future well, we're currently at the negotiation stage me and my wife okay so, so you're in the negotiation yeah. stage so when the deal is closed and <laughs> <laughs> if the new signing arrives, then I hope that, you know, let's say that a male does arrive into your life or a little boy arrives into your life. I assume you're going to be parenting him in a different way compared to the way that you were parented as well. And I think a lot of it is now downstream. That's why I love having conversations with people like you, Max, because of, it's about raising that awareness. And then obviously, if you notice that behavior in yourself, and like you mentioned, then you take on some emotional intelligence skills and you start to behave in a different way. And you start to be the leader in your friendship circle to behave in a certain way, to give people the opportunity to, to open up, to have empathy, to have compassion, then hopefully that's the way the world ultimately improves. So when it comes to people raising the awareness and starting to become a little bit more in touch with what they feel masculinity is 
to them in the sense that allows them to operate in this world and keeps them healthy and keeps them mentally healthy as well. What's your going to be your approach to the future child that you have if you do have an, end up having a little boy or a little girl, in fact? Yeah, I think it's as much as possible to get out of the way and not be not impose um, points of view necessarily onto them. And I think it, to an extent we do that inevitably, right? So my dad was a massive sports nut. He's six, six, like was like a r- fantastic rugby player. Um, and so I grew up going like, that's what I want to be. It didn't even have to do anything. He was just there. Yes. So like inevitably you kind of absorb ideas of gender from people just from being around them. But I think it, what the big thing I would, would do if I had a, if I had a son would be to make sure from the word go that they valued their, the relational part of their life and of their identity as much as the achievement, the material part of their identity and enforce and reinforce that in them and do what, what the research suggests a lot of parents don't do, which is to notice emotional expression in boys ask them to reflect and dwell on it and try and coach them through talking about it. There's tons of studies about, for example, how parents react to, say, a five-year-old, you've got a boy and a girl, five, they, they both fall over in a shop, hurt their knee. If you've got a girl, people run over to the girl and go, are you all right? Are you, are you crying? I'm sorry. It's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. The boy, they'll go, you're going to be a brave boy. You know, you're not going to cry. you be a brave boy. Be a good boy tiny little thing you wouldn't we wouldn't even necessarily do a double take if it happened but those things sort of all add up there's another interesting s- studies around how we talk to boys and girls just about their day like are you asking them to talk about what they did or how they felt about what they did it's a small thing so i think i'd just try and put more focus on that but as much as possible also let their own personality emerge. Because that's the other kind of factor here is we've talked about culture, like making us who we are. We talked about innate factors like our biology going way back to our evolutionary past, but also things like personality type is relevant. So if you're watching this and you're an introvert, you're going to go, well, I don't really, I'm not so into socializing some of my extrovert friends. That's fine as well. And to tell a load of introverts to go out and make a thousand friends, they're going to be like, that sounds my idea of hell. Um, that's absolutely fine as well. So you've got to kind of let the individual away from gender, which we've become absolutely obsessed about, and is clearly a huge, a huge thing. But away from that, um, letting that happen as well. I mean, it's a good question. I've not really reflected on it. Um, maybe there's a book in it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's your new Sunday Times bestseller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you to do the forward, Elliot, you see. I'm looking forward fine. to it, mate. But on that note as well, you've mentioned that it's obviously down to an individual basis in terms of how we socialize and the friendships that we create. Is there also a geographical element to this as well? I had one of the most unusual, for my eyes, especially growing up in the UK, experience when I went to Istanbul. And I don't know if you've been to Istanbul and you've looked in some of the coffee shops, but the people who are socializing there are men. There's men sat across the table from each other, sitting on their small stools with their little coffees, 
and just chatting. And that is the majority of the city. It blew my mind because if you go to that example in the UK, it's Costa Coffee and it's all the mums and the 50, 60 year old ladies having a chat in the Costa Coffees. And you don't see any men really having a conversation. You might see one on his laptop having, you know, a work session. But in Istanbul, it's literally the opposite, which blew my mind. And I was like thinking how amazing that is for men and the friendships they must have. Maybe there's another story about, you know, how women are allowed to go out in Muslim countries, etc. But we're not going to get into that right now. But that aspect of it, in my optimistic mind, was very encouraging. So how much of it is geographical, especially when it comes to those who live in the UK as well? So I think it's, there's definitely anything to do with culture. So, so much of gender, so much of being men or women is, 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 is a cultural idea, right? So when you change cultures, some of those ideas are going to be different. And Istanbul's a really interesting idea. I hadn't actually heard that before. So... One thing that makes me think of is obviously um, it's a lot of a lot of Muslims, so you can't you're not on the on the beers, right? Um, so I'm just thinking like if I asked a load of my friends to go and meet in a coffee shop, they'd probably be a bit like, really? But I think it's healthy that we can do that. I think it'd be a much better thing if we could actually meet up and have coffees than always have to be in the pub. Anyway, that's another story. But then Istanbul's a great uh, example. I heard. Um, I'm trying to think of the country. It's somewhere in the Middle East where people told me they would go and they see male friends holding hands, and it was not. This is not a double take. It was just. It was just like oh, it's just normal. Um, in uh, Argentina, men kiss each other on the cheeks. Same, you know, same in France. So there's there's different, completely different ways of doing it, which shows, like you say, you were optimistic, and I think there is a reason to think that there are way more options of being male that we don't explore because we think they are only a certain way and there's possibilities of doing it. I mean, a great example is this. I looked at the history of, of friendship and the history of, if you ask people now, who, who are the best at being friends? Whose friendship, you know, who are the kind of kings or queens of it? They go, well, women are. But that idea would have been absolutely absurd before about basically the turn of the 20th century. It's basically entirely gendered as male friendship. The best, kind of the closest friendships of poster posterity were male-male friendships. And they were not only the ancient Greek sense where they just sat around talking about, you know, grand ideas. In in the Renaissance, it was very emotionally expressive. People would share beds. You know, they, they talk, they write each other almost love letters. So the kind of modern way we might think of men in friendship is exactly that. It's modern. So across culture, across um, time span, across life span, if you see a group of older men together, they're very different to a group of younger men. So a lot of the ideas we have about how friendship works is, is just assumption. And mix in with that, there are some things that are less likely to change as well. But... Yeah, there's a lot of options on the table for us. Yeah, and I think that once you do expose yourself to those different cultures and you start to see a different way, it's like, well, maybe I can bring a little bit back to this, to my social group. And yeah, I'm not necessarily saying you need to hold hands with your mates now, but at the same time, there could be some ideas there that, like you said, the coffee shop example was great for me. I really liked seeing that, um, especially the 
sheer amount of men in the coffee shops was very impressive to me. So as you mentioned, there's more than one way to do things and there's more than one setting that you can see your friends in other than the pub as well. So I think that's a, a good thing to remind people of. And with that being said, just to wrap up on some practical notes, we've spoken about like taking the initiative to acknowledge your friends, giving them affection. Are there any kind of closing practical ways that we can take steps towards creating more meaningful connections with the current friends we have in our life or even to make some new ones? One thing I talk about is the... I call it the tent peg strategy. Think about why friendships go wrong when you get a bit older. It's because you have the intention of seeing friends and showing the initiative and being, you know, great and all that stuff. And then life gets ridiculous. And then two months go past and you're like, oh God, I haven't seen Kevin for ages. And then you may, might meet up and you'll say to each other, oh, we must do this again really soon. And you both, you, you'll mean it as well. You'll mean it. Five years and then later. Life gets yeah, exactly. Five years. <laughs> do. Yeah, you're at a funeral. Um, so how do you get around that? It's about having these temp pegs in the calendar that mean you don't have when you do lose that kind of that that front of front of mind thing, you're still in touch. So for example, I do this fortnightly, roughly five side football thing. There'll be some guys in that I don't have any contact with until we play again. They might not come to every game, might be six weeks. But when I fall off the friendship wagon, as it were, I I know that's there. Um, So what's the tent pegs for you? Like it might be, I met a guy who loves military board games and he says, I go every month, we'd go to military board game club. But it's not my sort of thing, but they absolutely love it. But they know that's in there and they really look forward to it. So what are those tent pegs for you? Takes trying to get those in is important another thing i'd talk about is help yourself be lucky so we like to think that we go out where well, we're going to go and make friends i'm going to go and make friends but often what happens is we make friends generally by being around people who are who like what we like and who are fairly similar right we like to think that there's some great um audit of their soul and then we match up and we're like we're going to be friends but generally it's like you're just around each other loads and you're like all right and then you didn't know how it happened you're like oh we're friends i suppose now so how can you put yourself in situations where that's more likely to happen and it's just about i think actually asking yourself not how am i going to make friends it's going what 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 am i into what 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 do i want to learn what do i love doing what do I want to spend my time on? Like it, whatever it is, like it might be like, do you know what? I live by the river. So it might be like, you know what? I'm going to learn a kayak. And then you go to a kayaking course and you meet a couple of people locally on that. One of them you end up seeing pretty regularly and it becomes a friend. Um, it might be you, you do a, uh, you join a, join a gym, right? Or whatever it is. Be in spaces when you're going to collide with others and let friendship happen. But I would always say like, Get, the thing is to get a life, not just get some friends. Because generally, friends come with you on the journey. The journey is the crucial bit. Like, you got what's the thing you're gonna, you're gonna, the context you're gonna share with them. So find those spaces. And the nice thing about that is it's kind of less intense. A lot of people go like, oh god, super awkward. Um, and a big thing, maybe thirdly here, is avoid the WhatsApp trap which is, it's like spinning plates, right? We have friends and it's like, oh, 
I'm just going to go to WhatsApp and just keep that plate spinning. But you don't want a load of spinning plates. You want some friends. And friendship happens face-to-face, sharing time, sharing space. Online is great as a keep things going, but we can labour under the illusion that we're keeping our friendships going just by that WhatsApp trap or the Facebook trap or you comment on their tweets. Like we've all done it, right? And it can it kind of sates you. Like the example I, I gave the other day when I wrote a piece is it's just like having a load of a load of sweets, right? And you kind of go, Oh, my energy's up. I don't need to eat a meal. And then you have this crash that's even worse than if you hadn't had the sweets. That's what it can be like. You need to kind of have consistent nutrition. That's a nice, often in social worlds, we use this metaphor of calories. Like, where are you getting your good calories from? Like, well, what's your balanced social diet? Um, so being socially fit. And that comes from, you know, proper time shared. Yeah. So those are some tips. And also loads more, obviously, in the book. Absolutely. Yeah, that's some solid advice, Max. And it's been an amazing conversation. And before we leave, I do want to ask, where can people find you? Where can people find the book if they have been interested by this conversation, which I have no doubt that they would have been today? Yeah, sure. So the book is called Billy Nomates, How I Realize Men Have a Friendship Problem. It's obviously in all shops, um, apart from tiny ones, probably. And obviously it's on, it's on, you get it on Amazon. And my website is maxdickens.com. There's loads of stuff about the book on there. Loads of other interesting bits and articles and things and how to's. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Max Dickens as well. Come and say hello and uh, let me know your thoughts on this. Like I really like hearing your little st- stories about, you know, the, the guy that messaged you after you met up and the Istanbul thing. So I like picking up these little tidbits as I go through. So if you, if you've got any thoughts on this, do, do get in touch. Perfect. I'll put all that in the show notes below. But Max, thank you for your time. It's been an amazing conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.